take your Bibles, please, and turn to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, and I want you to go to chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Um, we've been here for some weeks, and, and we are going to be, not in, just in this chapter, but in subsequent chapters, we, we've been here for some time, and, and it's some powerful stuff, Elijah. E-L-I-J-A-H. Elijah is the person, the main character in 1 Kings chapter 19. In, in fact, later on, many centuries later, the Holy Spirit inspired a man named James to write this, and it's in the book of James in the New Testament. James wrote of Elijah it, he, he wrote that he is a man much like us. He's a person like us, meaning that what God did in Elijah's life, God wanted to do to people of that generation. And with great authority, I can say that, that the way that God worked in Elijah's life all of those centuries ago, 27 centuries ago, he lived there a long time ago, but what God did in his life then, he, God desires to do in our lives today. I'm going to take that even a step further. What, the ways in which God used Elijah all those years ago, God still desires to do that in people today, if they're willing you see, the power of God has not been lessened. The presence of God has not subsided. He is as powerful as he's, as he's ever been and always will be. He is God and he desires to do in our lives today and in our time today what God did a long time ago in Elijah's time and place. So I'm, that's why he's like us. And so this person that we've, that we've been looking at uh, it, 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 I, I want you to understand it's not just a story. It's something that we must, not only can, but must relate to. So God used Elijah to call his role. His calling was to call the nation of Israel away from the worship of false gods and back to true worship of Jehovah God. They had really gotten off. And, and his title, his calling, was uh, prophet, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, prophet. Uh, he, he, was, he was a prophet. Now, prophets, sometimes we think a prophet was a person who only told the future or foretold the future. Uh, often they did that, but really in the Old Testament sense, more than anything, prophets were spokesmen for God, tools in God's hand to bring people back into a right relationship with God. And this is what Elijah was doing. This is, this is what God called him to, 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 to share repentance, to speak and preach repentance to the people of the, the Jewish people of the nation of Israel. And for the most part, Elijah fulfilled his calling admirably. But following some amazing events in the previous chapter, 1 Kings chapter 18 on Mount Carmel, and you can read all of that later if you're not aware of it, but following some pretty amazing events in chapter 18, we're told that an evil queen named Jezebel, boy, you talk, don't ever name your children or grandchildren Jezebel. It's just a terrible name. She had a horrible reputation, and this evil queen named Jezebel, because of what Elijah had done, because of what he stood for, she put out a, a hit on him. She, she said that she wanted this man dead within 24 hours. This evil queen 
threatened and intimidated and threatened to kill him. And early in chapter 19, it says, Elijah ran for his life. But here's the thing. When Elijah ran for his life, he also ran from the calling to which God had called him. He ran from doing what God had called him to do. You see, and, and this is how it relates to us. Again, it's not just Elijah. Fear, fear has a way of, of keeping people from doing what God has called them to do. Fear is a powerful thing. Fear of what people will do, fear of what people will say, even fear of what people will think has kept many people from doing what God has called them to do. Fear is a powerful thing. Don't ever minimize or underestimate the power of fear. And this is what's happening to Elijah. It's also what can happen to us. Well, I don't want to do that. God puts it on our heart to do something, to go someplace, to, to accomplish something, to trust him for something great. And we go, yeah, but what will people think? What will people do? What will people say? What will happen to me? What will it cost me? I'm afraid. And fear has kept a lot of people from doing what God desired to do in them and through them. But here, Elijah, in, in, a, in, a, in a deserted place, in a, in, a, in a barren place, through a series of events, we looked at this in previous weeks, through a series of events, God restored Elijah. He was emotionally, spiritually, physically depleted. But through a series of events, God restored him and instructed him to resume his calling. In 1 Kings chapter 19, you're there, verse 15, it begins with these five words, very, very important five words. The Lord said to him. You see those? The Lord said to him. Now, I, I point out those first five words of verse 15 because we need to understand that in that remote place, in that barren place, in that out-of-the-way place that only God and Elijah were aware of at that moment, in that remote place, God met and spoke to that once fearful and defeated man. And that line, and this is why those five words are important, the Lord said to him, because that tells us that God will come and he will meet with you and speak with you regardless of where you are or regardless of what has gone before this. And that's really important because some of you perhaps here this morning have been looking at your life and you're, and you're thinking, God, are you done with me? Some of you have been listening to the, the, the lies, the whispers of the enemy and, and, and the enemy of our soul, Satan, has been whispering to you and saying, your, your, your best days are behind you. Some of you are thinking, there's no hope for me because I have done this too much or too long. And I'm telling you that Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross so that he could come and he runs to us and he desires to restore us and heal us and then resend us. Some of you really need to hear that because you've been listening to that voice that there's no hope for me, it's all done. But I want you to know that you are here listening to this message or maybe you're listening to it on a podcast and you're listening to it and I want you to know that you're hearing this because God wants to speak to you. He has a purpose for your life. You are not done. God has a plan and a purpose. 
Don't, don't you give up because God's not giving up on you. It says, the Lord, the Lord came to him and the Lord said to him, God will meet us where we are. And then, and then it says that God gave some instructions to Elijah. Now, they're very important instructions. They're very important instructions, but, but here's what often happens. We often miss these kinds of things in, in Scripture because the, the message is mixed in with a lot of hard-to-pronounce or hard-to-understand to names or places. Verse 15 reads this way. The Lord said to Elijah, Go back the way that you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Have you ever done that? You, you just read something and you go, oh, hard name, skip to the next verse. But it's there for a reason. There's a purpose in it. He, 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 again, God meets, now, now you have to, just, uh, just a little bit of geography here. Uh, Elijah is is way south in the Holy Land, way south, uh, 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 south of, the, uh, uh, of, of Jerusalem, way south. Uh, where he's being called to go is way north. We're talking many, many, like, like over 100 miles away. That, that's just one thing. But, but God said to him, go back the way that you came, go to the desert. God, he's in one wilderness. He's, God's telling him to go to another desert. And he says, when you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Now, that doesn't mean a lot, but this Hazael that Elijah is instructed to anoint, this guy, and, and by the way, Aram is, is like the enemy of Israel. This is, this is a, a, a nation that, that really wants to defeat Israel. <laughs> and God is telling him to go and anoint the next king of Aram. Aram is, is like a part of Syria. So when you think, when you think Aram, think Syria, it's around the Damascus area, excuse me, the Damascus area. And, and, and here's the thing. God will later use Syria, this, the Arameans. He, God will use Syria under the leadership of this guy that he will anoint as king. God will use Hazael to humble the nation of Israel. God would use Syria to give Israel another chance to repent, to bring them to their knees. Elijah's warnings, he had been speaking to them for a very long time, calling them to repent, and they had not repented, so God was now going to put pressure upon them through the people of Aram and the king of Hazael. That's why that's significant. So he, he, God meets with them and says, I want you to go and, and anoint or set apart the guy who is, who is the king over uh, 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 the enemy nation. And then uh, you think that's bad. Not, look, look. The first part of verse 16 reads this way. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. So he's to leave this desert place, go to another place, anoint the king of one nation, and then anoint the king of Israel. And these two guys are going to be sworn enemies, but he's supposed to anoint both of them. Now listen, has God ever, no, don't raise your hands, but has God ever given you a difficult instruction? Well, when you think it's hard, think of Elijah. Can, can you imagine the charges? 
can't, I can't help it. The, the charges of collusion, right? What, what are you doing messing with the enemy? What, why are you doing this? This man named Jehu is the Israelite king who will later bring God's judgment on Jezebel. Remember, Jezebel is that wicked queen who issued the order to kill Elijah. But Elijah would not be the person to deal with her. Elijah would not be the person to go and get her. Elijah will not be the person who will be responsible for her death. This verse, this command from God in this difficult place, in this difficult time, was telling him that he was to commission the person who would deal with Jezebel. Now, Here's the thing, when Elijah is sitting in that place and he hears the voice of God and God speaks to him and and meets with him there, Elijah, when he received these instructions, he did not know that all of that would happen. But God did. He did not know that all of what I told you, he did not know how Jezebel would die. He did not know how how the the nation of Syria would, would humble Israel. He only knew that that is what God told him to do and he had to be obedient to do it. Now, now what we go through, what you and I go through, may not be as high profile as Elijah, but I'll tell you what, God will sometimes issue you directives. He will tell you to do things. He will put it on your heart to do something, and it won't make any sense. You'll look at it and you'll say, God, why should I do that? Why should I go and pray for this person? Why should I go and speak with this person? Why should I give towards that? But God puts it on your heart to do something. God puts it on your heart to go to someone. And let me tell you, you don't have to understand the big picture. You simply, and I simply, have to be obedient to what God tells us to do. Elijah didn't know that all of that was going to happen. Elijah had to be obedient. God's command to anoint these two persons, Hazael and Jehu, God's command to anoint these two persons shows us that he would deal with the nation that rejected God's mercy, and God would deal with the person who threatened Elijah. This is very important. God, through other persons and other means, would deal with the opposition, but not Elijah. Remember, this is the nation that had after repeated attempts on Elijah's part to to warn them away, refused him and ignored his, his warnings. This is the woman who threatened to kill him and who wanted to take, who vowed to her false gods to take Elijah out. But God, in these two verses, said, I'm gonna take care of it. You're not gonna do it. I'm gonna do it through someone else. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. God will deal with those who oppose his plan, and he will do it better than you. God will deal with those who oppose his plan, and he will do it better than you. We live in a time and a place where God's where there are many opponents of God's will. 
I'll tell you, you can open up the newspaper at any time. You can listen to the news or watch the news, and you can hear, and if you're, if you're discerning, you can say, I see what that is. That is satanically inspired, and that is to stop what God desires to do. I want to be careful what I say here because I know that this is going to be on the Internet. There... There are, and, and I don't want to imperil any of our missionaries, we support people every month that are serving in places where it is increasingly difficult to lift up the name of Jesus. Where their very lives are increasingly imperiled to do what God has called them to do. There are still opponents of the message of Jesus Christ. In our own nation, in many places, in many quarters, and in many ways, we are seeing a greater and greater opposition to what God desires to do. I believe it will become even more so as time progresses. It's going to become increasingly difficult to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ and you will perhaps in some ways um, uh, uh, place yourself in peril for standing with Jesus Christ. I don't rejoice in that. I am saying this, that we still have to do what God calls us to do and he will deal with the opposition. He may, do it through, he may do it through you. There are, there are occasions, but on this occasion, God said through this message, I'm going to deal with it, but I'm not going to do it through you. You go and you do what I've called you to do, but I'm going to do my will through other people. On another occasion, centuries before this, the newly delivered people of Israel, the Jewish people, who had just been set free from slavery in Egypt, were standing at the banks of the Red Sea. The Red Sea is in front of them, and approaching from behind them is the Egyptian army, who have one purpose, and that is to take them back into captivity, to take them back into slavery. The people are fearful. They have the enemy behind them and a sea in front of them. And I was thinking of this as I was studying this text here from 1 Kings 19, and I was reminded of this line from Exodus chapter 13. reads this way. Moses' directive to the people from God, God through Moses said this to the people on that occasion. Do not, listen to this, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. We read that again. Stand firm. Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. There have been times in my life, perhaps there have been times in your life, when all of a sudden you're doing what God's called you to, when all of a sudden there's opposition, and it's strong, and it's fierce, and it's, it's bitter, and it's angry, and it's, and, 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 all, and, and it's so difficult, and you're saying, God, what is going on? There have been times in my life, perhaps in your life, where in that place, God said, you're not the one to deal with it. You just be faithful, and I will deal with it. And glory to God, I've seen that happen. 
a number of times. I said, God, I'm not the one to deal with this. This is, not to be, this is not to be something that I'm to deal with. And God gave me such a peace on those occasions. And, and sometimes he said, all right, you got to deal with this. But there have been times in my life where I said, God, I don't, I, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And he says, you're not supposed to do anything. Just trust me and I will do it. And he did. Glory to God. Maybe you're there. And you're wondering, I, I did what God called me to do. I, I, I'm... I'm, I'm trusting you like I've never trusted you before, but the opposition to what you want to do is so strong. It may be something in uh, a ministry to which you're called, maybe something in a business that you're doing, and, 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 and you know that you're, you've been obedient, but it's the, the opposition is so strong. Maybe you're trusting God for something in your family, and all of a sudden, in, 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 from an unexpected quarter, you receive opposition to something that you just know is the right thing. And it's in those occasions where you need to say, Lord, this is, this, this is beyond me, but you're going to deal with it. And he will. But we overlook these things because of strange-sounding names sometimes. There's one more instruction that was given to Elijah that day, a very important piece of instruction. In verse 16 again, God said this, And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. It's almost like it's a footnote, you know. Oh, and the same sentence, verse 16. Oh, and anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat from Abel Mahola to succeed you. I wonder how Elijah, Elijah felt when all of a sudden God said, Oh, by the way, you're supposed to anoint you, the person who will follow you. <laughs> like, Elijah goes, oh, well, I'm being replaced. He, I don't think he saw this coming. I, I, I don't think he expected this. And by the way, Elijah did not know who Eli, excuse me, Elijah did not know who Elisha, sim, similar sounding, Elijah did not know who Elisha was at this point. He didn't know. And we know that because God had to identify both Elisha's family and his place. That's why those strange sounding names. God had to identify where he was and whose family he was a part of. Until that moment, Elijah did not know that one of the most important things he would ever do, listen to me, Elijah did not know that one of the most important things he would ever do was still before him. One of the most important things he would ever do was to prepare the person who would follow him. He did not know at this point until he heard that he did not know that one of the most important things that Elijah would ever do is to prepare the way for the person who would follow him. Remember, not long before this, Elijah had longed for death. He said, God, just kill me now. I prayed that earlier in this chapter. Remember, not long before, Elijah believed that there was nothing good ahead. That, that, that all of the glory was behind him and there was just nothing but darkness, dreariness ahead. He, he didn't know that one of the most important instructions he'd ever received would be after that event on Mount Carmel, not before. Remember, this is the man who just, just, just a short time before said, God, I'm the only one left. No one trusts you except me. I'm just one against 
an unknown multitude. And God here is saying, and we'll say a few verses later, there are actually 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to false gods. But God has just identified one person and he said, you're not alone. There's someone who's going to follow you. Halfway through verse 16, anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. See, God still does this. (laughs) He raises people up. He uses them for his glory. He does great and mighty things in them and through them. And then he prepares someone to follow them. His plan is not limited to one lifetime. Um, You know, folks, we can get a little bit self-centered sometimes, and we can think that it's all about us. Like, wow, God's using me, and and he's going to, and we see things within the parameters of our lifetime or our, our productive years. And we sometimes forget that God has been doing his work long before we arrived, and he's continuing his, lo- his work long after we're gone. We need to remember that. That God has a plan that is beyond the borders of your life or my life. God is preparing someone to follow you. You may be the person right now that God is preparing to follow someone who is in a particular role. You may be the person that, you may be like Elisha, that God is getting you ready and he's going to use you to do even greater things than the person who preceded you in that role. There may be some people right now that you know some people right now that you know that are just being, have, have been wonderfully used of God in some kind of a role. But you know what? God's going to move them off and he's going to move you up. And God may be getting ready to do that with some of you. And you're wondering, why am I going through this difficulty? Why? Because God's preparing you and he's shaping you to fill that role of the person who God is at some point going to be moving off. God may be, you may be in the role of Elisha, and God is getting you ready. But God is also preparing someone to follow you. You may be the Elijah. You may be the person who has been wonderfully used of God, but God is getting someone else ready to come and take the reins from you and to use you, to use them in that role, and God is getting ready to move you out. You see, someone else will do what you now do. And hear this, again, if you're taking notes, wise is the person who prepares the way for those who will follow. Wise is the person who says, God, it's not all about me. What you're doing is far bigger than the parameters of my lifetime. God, help me to understand that I am only a steward of this job, this position, this office, this ministry, this land, this this production, this, this event. I'm only the person that you are using right now, but someday you're gonna use someone else and I wanna do everything I can to make that happen. 
because today is Father's Day, for a few moments, I want to speak directly to fathers here or persons who will become fathers. Let me speak directly to you for a moment. You understand that, that being a good father is more than simply a matter of biology, right? I mean, I'm not minimizing that, but the ability to procreate, while that's a wonderful thing, um, to be a good father means more than just the ability to procreate. To be a good father means more than just the ability to provide. That's important. The Bible says that a person who fails to provide for their family is worse than an unbeliever. It's stuff for another time. But, but there are some people who, who conceive a child, but are not. There are others who who adopt and, and, or who marry and, and, and they become a father. And, and, and while those two are very important things, being a father is more than just that. It's more than just providing. A, a good father is not just a person who, who goes to work every day and works hard. Those are important things, but it's more than that. A good father, let me, let me speak very clearly, a godly father Speaking to the fathers here this morning, a godly father understands they have a holy responsibility for the child or the children growing up in their home. Let's say that again. It's more than just a matter of biology or marriage or adoption. It's, it's, it's more than simply providing. It's also looking at your children and in some cases your grandchildren and say, I have a holy responsibility to raise up this child, this boy, this girl, to be a man or a woman of God. It's a holy responsibility. And to the fathers here this morning, thank you for providing for your children. Thank you for providing a home. But God has a greater purpose for you, and that is to be a man of God that will show those sons what it means to be a man of God, to show those daughters what it means to be a man of God so that someday they'll find a man of God. And you are preparing the next generation of godly people. That's a heavy responsibility. It's one we cannot take lightly. Sometimes I see it. Sometimes I see fathers who who, yeah, they, they provide in some ways. I, I've seen wretched fathers who did not understand that one of the most important things they can do is to get that next generation ready to be used of God. It was just a last month, we had some parents up here, some family up here who dedicated a, a little boy a few weeks ago, family up here dedicating another little boy. In a few weeks, we're going to have another family up here. De- Must be a thing for boys this year, uh, another little boy. And I tell people who are doing that, what you're doing is not simply going through an empty ceremony of saying, here it is. Here's this child. God, do what you will with it. It's parents saying, we're going to do everything I can to see this child become a man or a woman of God. 
It's a heavy responsibility. It's a holy responsibility. But it's one generation saying, there's someone who's going to follow me. There's someone that I want to outlive my life. And I want them to influence their world long after I'm gone. Beyond the parameters of my life. What God did with Elijah to Elisha, God desires to use fathers here this morning as well. Now, some of you may be thinking, I didn't have a good example of a father. I didn't have a good example of a father. Some of you, that's your, that's your quick response. I didn't have that. Nobody prepared me. That person didn't do it for me. He didn't prepare me. For many people, that's their reality. I'm not minimizing that. It's heartbreaking. I hate to see it. That may be your experience, but listen to me. Please, stop looking back at those who preceded you and look forward to those who will follow you. You see, Jesus heals and Jesus transforms. He alone can change us so that we no longer find our identity in the label of victim. Hear me on this. So often we look at ourselves only in the role of victim. They did this to me or they failed in doing this for me. And we spend so much time looking back at those who preceded us that we fail and we miss out that God wants to use me to change and affect change in those who will follow me. That's where the attention needs to be. God can heal me from what happened, the family before me, but God used me to prepare successive generations. You can do nothing. You can do nothing, absolutely nothing about your ancestors, but by God's grace, you will have an enormous influence upon your descendants. You can't change them, the ones who went before you, but by God's grace, you can affect change on those who will follow you. Fathers, mothers, grandparents, family members, persons of influence. You may be an aunt or an uncle. You may be the most important spiritual influence in that person's life. Take it seriously. Watch how you live because they're watching you and how you live. Now, again, to all of us. You see that word succeed at the end of verse uh, 16 there? Anoint Elisha to succeed you as a prophet. It means to follow after. That's what succeed means. A succession plan. To follow after. God said Elisha would succeed him. My friends, in a world that frequently determines success by how much a person makes or accumulates, in a world when success is often measured by one's power or appearance or fame, as followers of Jesus Christ, hear me, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to prepare, and to disciple those who will succeed us. And that is success. Those who will follow after us. Every one of you are important. Every one of you are valuable in God's sight. One of the most important things that you will ever do in your lifetime 
will not happen in a, on a mountain where everyone can see it. It will happen in quiet, out-of-the-way places as you affect change in those who follow after you. That's where lives are changed. It's a holy responsibility. Some of you are wondering why you're still around. It's because God's using you to pray for that next generation. Some of you are still around so that in years to come, children, grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren or even beyond will say, that's what it means to be a man or a woman of God. Some of you are in places of authority so that others will look and say, that's what it means to be a Christian businessman, a farmer, a rancher. That's what it means to serve Jesus in the marketplace. Wow. For those who will follow after us. I guess we're either Elijah's or Elisha's at some point in our life. Even at times both. By the way, this is a little bit of heads up on something. Um, it would be anywhere between 8 and 10 years that Elijah and Elisha will travel their journey together. Much of it unrecorded, but we know the timeline. Between eight and ten years, they will walk together. We know the rest of the story of Elisha's life, that he will be tremendously used of God. In fact, someone, I think, did the math, and there are twice as many miracles that Elisha performed than Elijah did. They walk that life together for 10 years. You're walking life with someone. You're walking through life. It may be a family member. It may be a friend. It may be a colleague. It may be the person you hired just two days ago. But they're not there by accident. They are there so that you can affect change in those who will follow you. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. I want to pray that we would take that, that heavy, wonderful role of responsibility, that, that we will take it seriously. And, so, and that's every one of us, not just fathers here. I would like every person, not just fathers, every person, if you can, would you stand with me, please? I want to pray over you. These altars are going to be open. We'll, these are always available if you want to come and spend some time with prayer. I know that there are other things planned and scheduled because of Father's Day, and we want to be sensitive to that. And if you need to go, just, just feel free to go. These altars are always open. But I want to close in prayer. I want to pray over you. I want to pray that God will use you to prepare those who will follow after you. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, I thank you for these men and these women these young men and these young women who are here. Before me, Lord, stand a bunch of people, well, like Elijah, who was much like us, your word says. Um, may we understand that we're here for a time and we have a heavy responsibility, a holy responsibility to, in our generation, speak of you, to, in our generation, expand your kingdom, to, in our time, with our abilities, with our time, and, and with our finances, do everything we can to expand your kingdom. 
But we do so, Lord, with the acute awareness that our time is relatively brief. That we're only here for a time. And it's not only to be used of you in this time, but it's also to prepare the way for those who will follow us. Lord, it is my prayer that some of the greatest things that we will ever have a part of will happen through those that we influence today. Our children, our grandchildren, and beyond. Our employees, our co-workers, our students. If no one ever hears about us, but great things are accomplished through those who will follow us, well, glory to God. For it's never been about us. It's always been about you. We're either coming into a place of influence, in a place of influence, or preparing the way for those who will influence after us. Help us, Lord, through it all, to trust you. I ask your blessing upon these people of influence. I ask your blessing upon them, their families. I ask a special blessing upon the fathers who are here today, the fathers-to-be. I ask that you will shape them, prepare them, and use them for your glory. The Lord, every one of us, use us. Thank you, Lord. Your power and your presence upon us as we go into this world now a world that is lost without you but we have the message of salvation hallelujah use us for your glory in Jesus name amen amen God bless you go in the power and in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ